Do you know one of the most, uh, one of the best ways to get Episcopalians really uncomfortable? Tell them we're going to talk about demons this morning. So we're going to talk about demons this morning. There was a great 1995 crime film called The Usual Suspects. At the end of the film, if you haven't seen it, as the criminals are making their escape, their leader declares, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. When we read passages like the one we heard just a few moments ago about people inflicted with demons, for many of us, our first reactions to these stories is to think these must have been written when people were less educated, less sophisticated, when they were maybe even less intelligent. After all, we think, if demons were real, wouldn't we see them running around today? Wouldn't people be calling me on my cell phone, calling me out for exorcisms? Wouldn't there be all sorts of chaos and destruction? But let me ask a question. What is a demon? In the Koine Greek, the original language of the New Testament, the word that is translated in the reading today as demon can simply mean a power or a force. When the Bible speaks of demons, the Bible is speaking about a force that can get inside of a person and make them do things they don't want to do and undermine the goodness in their lives and draw them away from God. Today we may not call them demons, but instead we may use words like addiction or mental illness or even rage, or resentment, or greed, or jealousy. These are all demons that can move into our souls and undermine God's plans for our lives and destroy our relationships and warp us into people who we were never intended to be. Over the past couple of weeks, I've read a number of passages out of the Bible about demons and when they were cast out, and there are a number of consistent principles in these stories. And these principles, it turns out, are not only biblically sound, but they play out in the lives of real people. For example, there are four stages I want to talk about in this reading we have this morning, and each of these stages or principles you also see in the life of Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom, you may have heard of her, was born in the Netherlands in 1892 into a devoutly religious family. Her parents were watchmakers and the family lived above the shop. When the Nazis occupied the Netherlands during World War II, the Tenboom family built a hidden room behind a false wall and began to offer refuge for Jewish families there. In 1944, however, they were betrayed to the Gestapo 
and Corey and her father, Casper, and her sister, Betsy, were all arrested. Casper died just 10 days after his arrest. Corey and Betsy were sent to Ravensbrook concentration camp. There, the conditions were harsh. They were subjected to back-breaking manual labor. They were nearly starved to death. There were no personal dignities, and beatings were frequent. However, through all of this, Corey and her sister Betsy maintained their faith. They secretly read the Bible. They led worship services for other prisoners. They shared their food. They did work for others when others couldn't do work for themselves. Corey's sister Betsy eventually got sick from the strenuous work and the malnutrition and all the abuse. When she pleaded with a guard to lighten her load, he shouted back at her, you don't decide what you do, I decide. And this guard beat Betsy mercilessly. Within just a few weeks, she died. Corey later was miraculously released from the concentration camp due to an administrative error just one week before all the women in her age demographic were sentenced and put to death. Despite being released, Corey was furious. Despite the, the faith that she had, the fight, the, despite the faith that she'd shared, she was overwhelmed with feelings of hatred and a desire for revenge. And frankly, I wonder who could blame her However, over time, Corey realized that her feeling of rage and hatred was taking over her life and was becoming a demon within her. So Corey named her demon. She took the first step to recovering and restoring her own life. The Bible demonstrates this necessity again and again. Before a demon is cast out, the demon must be named. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. The unclean spirit was identified, it was named. Before the powers of darkness can be overcome, a demon must be identified. And this principle, it turns out, applies even more broadly. If you in your life are feeling a painful or a difficult emotion, and you can name that emotion, psychological studies have found that you become better equipped to deal with the burdens of that feeling. So the first question for us is, what powers of darkness, what demons are at work in our lives? What forces are trying to pull us away from God and undermine God's love? Can you name the demons in your life? Are they rage? Are they fear? Or is resentment a demon for you? 
Corrie Ten Boom named her demon, she named the dark power that was at work in her life. She felt rage, she felt hatred, she felt fury. One evening, as Corrie went for a moonlit walk, she found herself thinking about her beloved sister's beating, and she felt this violent rage burning within her. So Corrie began to pray, and she suddenly remembered the words from Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love had been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Corey knew that she couldn't get rid of this rage and this hate on her own. She knew that it was only through the power of the Holy Spirit, only through God working in her life, that she would be able to cast out this demon. So she prayed that God would help free her from this rage. She later wrote of that evening, At that moment, my hatred disappeared. What a liberation, she wrote. This is the second step to overcoming the demons in our lives. We must realize that at times we can't do it on our own. We must look to God for strength and for help. In the gospel lesson we heard a few minutes ago, Jesus saw the man with an unclean spirit and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Notice that the man with the unclean spirit could not heal himself. It was only with the help, with the power of Jesus, that this man was able to overcome this dark power. Corey Tenboom was unable to overcome her own rage on her own, Therefore, she prayed to God, and the Holy Spirit moved in her heart. The irony is that today we live in a world that prioritizes strength and self-sufficiency above almost all else. But at times, our faith calls on us to confess that we have less power than we want, to admit that we can't always do it on our own, and to call upon God to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Corey Tenboom was powerfully transformed by this forgiveness that God poured into her heart. She was so powerfully transformed that after the conclusion of World War II, she began traveling around to different churches and to different countries to tell people about the power of God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. In 1947, Corey traveled from Holland back to Germany, and there she spoke at a church. That evening after her talk concluded, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat began to work his way forward, coming obviously to talk to her. In a flash, Corey recognized this man. She remembered him. The last time she had seen this man was at Ravensbrück when he was dressed in a Nazi uniform. In a flash, 
these memories of this concentration camp came back to Corey. The huge room with harsh overhead lights, the pile of dresses and shoes at the center of the room, the shame that Corey and her sister Betsy underwent as they were forced to walk undressed by all these guards, and by this guard in particular. And now this man was standing in front of Corey once again. He said to her, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. As this man was talking, Corey felt completely numb. He went on, since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, he said. And as the concentration camp guard reached out his hand towards Corey, he asked, will you forgive me? Corey stood there for moments that felt like an eternity. She remembered the concentration camp, the place where her sister had died. Could the slow, terrible death of her sister, she wondered, simply be overlooked because this man asked for it? You see, Corey had named a demon in her life, and she had been changed. She had overcome this hatred and this resentment, but now this demon she thought she'd left in her past was coming back. This, this demon of hatred and rage still had a grip on her life. After Jesus told the unclean spirit to come out of the man that we read about today, notice that the unclean spirit didn't simply disappear. That's almost never what happens when we read about it in the Bible. We read that this man began convulsing. He began crying out with a loud voice. And only after that did the unclean spirit come out of him. You see, evil doesn't give up easily. I can't tell you how many people I know who have addictions that they've tried to break and they've prayed to God for strength and they think they have finally found sobriety or relief only to fall back into these addictions again. Whatever our demons are, we must pray for God's strength not just once, but again and again and again. You see, the forces of darkness, the powers of evil, the demons at work in our lives, they don't leave without a fight. They don't go willingly, and they are constantly looking for ways to claw back into our lives. Maybe you've experienced this. If so, we are reminded to not give up, to keep moving forward, to continue working and praying, and we are reassured that with God's help, the forces of darkness in our lives can eventually be overcome. Standing before Corey Ten Boom was this man who epitomized all the pain and all the anger and all the hatred in her life. And yet she saw this guard's hand outstretched asking for forgiveness. 
Corey later explained, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the outstretched hand in front of me. And as I did, Corey wrote, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, Corey said. I forgive you, brother. In this long moment, they held hands. The former concentration camp guard and the former prisoner. Corey later said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. In the wake of this encounter, Corey redoubled her efforts to travel around. She recommitted herself to traveling and telling people of God's love and God's grace and telling God's story. In short, Corey gave thanks for the way God had transformed her life. And that is the fourth stage that the Bible consistently depicts. When someone has been freed from the grip of a demon, they are called to give thanks to God. In Capernaum, after Jesus had cast out the unclean spirit, we read, all were amazed at once, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. That's what Corey Tenboom did, help spread the fame of Jesus. She spent the rest of her life telling people about God's love and grace and forgiveness and celebrating the way God had transformed her life. And that's, frankly, what you and I are called to do also. When we've overcome a demon, we're called to celebrate this fact and share it with others. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. We live in a world that has so many demons, so much hatred and brokenness and darkness and suffering. The good news is we have a model demonstrating how we can confront and overcome the darkness in each of our lives. When we encounter a demon, we each have and we will. First, name it. Call it what it is. Second, accept that you can't always overcome it on your own, so pray to God to help you overcome this challenge you are facing. Third, Accept that this demon will continue to try to claw its way back into your life. It's looking for a way back in, so don't give up and pray to God for strength again and again and again. And finally, when you have conquered your demons, celebrate, rejoice, and then share the good news of God's love and God's power in each of our lives. Amen.